This is the Knowledge Bandits Podcast. I'm your host, Arum. I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Let's start the show. This is the Knowledge Bandits Podcast, and I'm excited to bring you today's guest, Miss Rachel Subande. Uh, Rachel is a young entrepreneur from Malawi, and she's also the founder of M-Hub, Malawi's first tech hub. Uh, founded in 2013, M-Hub is an incubator for technology startups with a special focus on building young technology entrepreneurs through training, skills development, and mentorship. Uh, I've, I've given a very brief introduction, Rachel, on M-Hub and you, but I was wondering if you can take time to let the bandits get to know you a little bit better. Um, so, first things first, my name is Rachel, I'm 30 years old, I'm Malawian and a technology enthusiast and a social entrepreneur, I'm trying to make money while doing good. Part of the good that we do as a hub is to train children, how to develop technology applications, we train girls, how to develop technology applications, and when we also train young people on entrepreneurship and incubate their emerging startups. I love to cook and try out new recipes. Okay. And we'll get to, we'll get to those new recipes. I'm definitely looking for, for some new cuisines to add to my, to my catalog, but I'll ask you about that a little bit later. Uh, so just starting from the top, how did you sort of find the inspiration and what is it that sparked you to actually start M-Hub? Well, in 2012, I had an opportunity to be one of President Obama's young African leaders um, from Malawi. And through that experience, it was actually the first time in the United States. And I was sent to for an internship at the Chicago um, Board of Trade and the National Futures Association in Chicago. And through that experience, on one day, for like about two hours of the entire six weeks that I was in the U.S., I had an opportunity to visit an incubator or a hub for entrepreneurs. Um, and I kind of liked the concept and the idea, and it unearthed a new passion in me that I'd go back home and set up something similar, tell us suited to Malawi's needs, but also tell us suited to more of a technology and an innovation hub because that was what um, I love to do, technology, because I'm a computer scientist. Hmm. So I came back home and decided to start M-Hub for the reason that um, research shows that 75% of Malawi's young people are actually unemployed, and we have a lot of graduates coming out of the university that are scrambling for jobs, yet they have talent, they have skill, I mean, for tech, for tech enthusiasts, they could develop websites, they could develop mobile applications and make money out of it, or manage technology deployments, or manage hardware, or provide technical support as a business, create employment for themselves, and create employment for other youths. And so I decided to set up the hub to fill in, in that space, to identify young people that have skills in tech, or those that are willing to partake in those skills, and then help them to become technology entrepreneurs, but also incubate their startups as they start so that they can have that credibility. Hmm. Wow. I, I, I mean, that sounds amazing. And I've heard a lot of people who have that same passion, but oftentimes you find when you go back, you're sort of bombarded with 
a plethora of things that you could do and it's a bit overwhelming. So can you take me through that process on getting back? I'm sure it was initially overwhelming, but you were able to stick to it. And can you just talk a little bit about a few things that, uh, that allows you to keep going in spite of all of the, the interruptions? Right. So I think, um, for me, it's, it's a few things that I, um, I keep up on my list. Number one is to keep focused. Um, identify what you're good at and zero in on that and just keep it focused. So that's what I did. I realized I was good at technology. That's what I could do best. I realized I had a passion to help other young people and I was willing to see them grow in their careers but also as entrepreneurs. And I decided I was just going to focus on that. Hmm. And I, I really like that. <clears throat> And so one of the big things, not just in Africa, but globally is women in entrepreneurship and also women in technology really shaking up that space. So I guess, can you speak on sort of the, the gender roles in technology and in entrepreneurship in Africa or in Malawi well, in particular? I, yeah. Well, I know that um, talking of women in tech, um, even globally, there are very few women in that space. Mm-hmm. But for me, I see it actually as an opportunity for us women to get into that space and, you know, change the landscape. Besides, some of the great women in tech that have lived, the likes of the Grace Hopers or the likes of the Sheryl Sandbergs mm-hmm. that are in tech right now and managing, um, like she's Chief Operations Officer for Facebook, they are great, they're awesome. I mean, they, they, they've really managed to achieve a lot. And I take that as an opportunity and as a springboard that it's a space where women too can exist um, and achieve because there are a lot of examples like I've given of women that have achieved in that space. Um, And I know that um, a lot of girls and women feel kind of intimidated by the fact that maybe there are very few women, but that's also one of the reasons why as a hub, um, we started the Girls Coding Club. We train girls how to develop technology applications, how to think creatively and into problem solving as well, because we're hoping that we'll have a generation of young women that can consider careers in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics as a whole. Mm. As relates to the existence of women in entrepreneurship in Africa, I think um, it is also a space where women can, can, can exist, but we know that there are issues um, challenges to do with um, our social cultural contexts where um, it is the men that usually have access and control mm-hmm. to in- even when the women are there hustling hard and, and, and being the entrepreneurs. And it's very common in the agricultural space that women do much of the work, but it's the men that take over when it comes to mm-hmm. the marketing and money. But I think we need to encourage our culture of women being able to coexist just like with their male counterparts and also become entrepreneurs and, you know, um, transform their livelihoods for themselves, their children and their families. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. I'm, you're, you're speaking a lot of the same language that I, that I like to hear. Uh, and so when you first started MHub, did you have to go about raising money or what was that process like? Maybe take a six months step by step on what it was like starting it. Okay, so I started with zero capital. Hmm. I went and registered the company. So first of all, I went through thinking through the name 
And then I decided, you know what, this chapter needs to be closed. I settled for a name. I call it MHub. It's MHub. It is. Hmm. Registered the company, had zero capital. I decided to use my intellectual abilities, my ability to develop technology solutions, manage technology deployments as my initial capital. Hmm. So I got onto a project where I offered that, you know, I am going to do this service for free um, because I wanted to a proof of concept. Hmm. And after that project, I think they were pretty impressed with the work that I did. It was on an, um, a project in democracy and governance. Um, they were pretty impressed with the work that I did, and it actually convinced them to say, you know what, I think we could give you initial funding to get started in terms of furniture and equipment and also like um, funding for rentals for a space for a year. Hmm. Um, and then I used that initial leverage to get two staff on board, and then we got ourselves into developing innovative technology applications to enhance our proof of concept that, you know what, we can do this, this is possible, but also to become sustainable. So we are actually a social enterprise. Mm. Aside of getting the grants and funding support, we've also involved ourselves a lot in developing technology solutions as a business in order to sustain ourselves. So that's how pretty much how mm. I started and how um, we've managed to sustain ourselves over time, okay. getting to do technology uh, platforms as a business as well. Wow. Uh, I think that's 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 pretty cool. And you mentioned something of uh, before we actually started recording, but you talked a little bit about the work you're doing now. And I'm sure that um, the initial days sort of led to that. Uh, I, I think it's pretty cool. So do you mind sharing a little bit of what you're working on now in Lusaka? Um, so right now, yes, I'm, I am in Lusaka. Uh, Zambia goes to the polls on Thursday, the 11th of August, 2016. And as part of making the elections transparent, fair, and uh, a process that involves the electorate, who are the citizens, um, there is an initiative by civil society organizations here in Zambia um, to come up with technology platforms through which citizens can report on incidences as they happen during the election. It could be cases of where a citizen wants to report that they have voted and everything is all right, or a citizen would want to report that there have been some anomalies at their polling station, uh, maybe there are no voter ballot papers, or there is no ink, or indeed... It could be a case of a citizen wanting to report violent, which is stopping them from exercising their right to vote. Whatever it is, they, the technology platforms that we have developed and are involved in managing their deployment here will enhance citizen engagement in the electoral process to amplify the citizen's voice because they are the major stakeholder. And um, we have been involved in deployment and managing of similar technology solutions in Malawi, mm. but also um, supported our colleagues in Tanzania. Hmm. Interesting. And how, how do you get the technology that you build into the hands of the, the average citizen? For the average citizen, really the break-even point of getting to them is through SMS. Mm. And then because majority of the local common person will have a basic phone, mm -hmm. which doesn't have data. So how you capture them is really through SMS or you could do interactive voice. Mm. Um, and then you take it up further 
to now the more privileged citizens that can have access to a phone with data, mm-hmm. you now start to consider streams um, of data to come from Facebook or WhatsApp or Twitter, like, you know, data platforms. Mm. But for the average citizen, really, it's through SMS. Okay. And in your mind, through this uh, more engaged population, what sort of change do you hope to see or what what sort of change do you hope to to initiate from that? Well, um, people need to speak up. I think the whole idea of um, getting to amplify people's voices and to use technology, to leverage technology, the power of technology, is that people are the major stakeholders in any government and any form of governance, whether it's at an institution or in a government or in a community. Um, Leaders are there to be accountable to the people. And I think getting people's voices to be amplified, to be heard, is one way to enhance accountability Mm. and responsiveness of duty bearers to the people that they lead at whatever level it is. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Because oftentimes we we sort of hold our uh, governors, presidents, the people who are in politics, we hold them to a certain standard and we say they're not living up to it. But oftentimes uh, the burden lies on the people as well. We need to be more engaged with uh, the population and demand more from these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so now we're, we're switching gears a little bit. I really enjoy talking about M-Hub and figuring out, understanding what you guys are doing there. But now we want to get to know you as an entrepreneur a little bit more. So what fires you up in the morning? What's your morning routine? And why is that routine so important to you? Um, so I wake up in the morning and I have my moment of reflection. I just don't jump out of bed. I have like my 30 minutes moment of reflection. I'm a Christian, so I'll take my time in prayer. Um, it helps me to to really get a grounding um, in my faith and also to get me into the day with a solid um, state. And then I'll take time to reflect on the things that I need to do um, and then strategizing on how I need to do them. Mm. Um, it's something that if I don't do, I end up just um, doing things held a scatter. So it's a very important routine for me. Mm. When I strategize and plan out, it always works out very well. And then I plan out my day, like what I'm going to do for the first part of the morning, what I'll be doing mid-morning, and then what I'll be doing towards the end of the day. And if I get that right, I pretty much don't have to get myself to do as much work. And I can I could go to bed on a normal day like that, like as early as 9 p.m. Because sleep is mm. also... Rest is also a very important aspect for me to be very productive. Hmm. And I just want to say that I've tried that. I, I'm not so great at it, waking up and uh, staying in bed a little bit, reflecting, doing something. Uh, I'm not quite good, but the times that I have done it, I found that my days are actually way more productive. I'm less sluggish throughout the day. So I think if you haven't tried it, that's definitely a practice I'd encourage. Hmm. Right, yeah. right. And so we know that passion is a big part of why people get into entrepreneurship, but another part is being able to sustain yourself. So can you share a few specific ways that you generate income for yourself? So we have a couple of revenue streams as a hub. Number one, 
we develop technology solutions. So we do websites, we do mobile applications for corporate clients, for development partners, for individuals, and yeah, pretty much anybody that comes through. That's where our highest revenue comes from. Um, managing technology deployments like the ones we're doing here in Zambia, mm. we get um, revenue from that. And then our second revenue stream is that we hire out the hub space for rent to mm. people that are doing events. So it is a 236 square meter space. We have right. painted it to be very motivating and vibrant, especially for the youthful. And some would want to come and hold like an event, maybe a youth training mm. or a pitching activity. So we'll hire it out for events. Um, the third revenue stream is that we host emerging entrepreneurs within our space. We offer them a desk and a chair a month and they use it as the office mm. um, because most of them lack that decent place to call an office mm -hmm. and that also affects their credibility and believability from other would-be clients. Mm. So we offer that desk and the space um, for a fee, very insignificant, but it does earn us some revenue. And then we have a membership fee mechanism, even though we've made it free for girls for obvious reasons, because we would want to encourage more females to mm. come into tech to innovate. But for our male counterparts, they have to pay um, about $2 or $3 a month mm. um, for their membership fee just to have access to um, the space and other hub resources and opportunities. So that's how we make our money and sustain ourselves. Mm. Oh, very nice. And out of that, I have a few questions. You mentioned you work with uh, different clients. Uh, so with uh, that's in terms of your tech solutions that you offer. How do you what sort of advice can you give to people who are looking to start something similar and want who aren't able to, to find those partners? Like what sort of advice can you give them? So the advice I would give them is based on something that I tried and it worked. So this is what I, that we did. Um, we identified strategic potential clients whom we thought we understood what they do and the gaps that they had that we could solve. Mm. So, for example, we went to the Lake of Stars. The Lake of Stars is uh, one of the largest music festivals in this part of Africa, well, the largest in Malawi, because it brings over 5,000 tourists at a time hmm. um, in a space of three days with over 100 artists, musicians, and several other artists. Oh. We realized that they had a huge following, a huge fan base, but they didn't have a mechanism to have like a mobile app where people could see schedule of who is performing and at what time, at what stage, and also to check out the profiles of the 100-plus artists that come to perform to these events. Mm. The best they could have is like um, a long Excel sheet of the schedule. Mm. And you don't really expect people to be looking at, you know, a printed sheet of program mm. Um, mm. when they want to, place to have fun. So we identified the gaps that they had, and we went to them and said, look, we could develop a mobile app for you, because we know people will always carry their phones with them wherever they go, where they could check out the profiles of these artists. They could check out a calendar 
of events, who is performing at what stage at what time, and they could build their personalized schedule way before the festival, and the app could send them reminders that so-and-so will be performing at such a time mm. based on what they schedule. And so, well, at first they said, you know, we don't have the budget for this. And we said, no, it's fine. We're going to do it for you for free mm. as long as you credit us on your website that we are one of your sponsors. Mm. I mean, and we knew that we would piggyback on their huge uh, publicity and following and get people to know that we exist. And so for all the people that downloaded that app, um, then they knew that we existed. Yeah. And then we, we listed that as one of the things on our profile. Mm. So my advice would be identify strategic uh, potential clients, think for them as to what you think you could offer to solve their challenges. Mm. In the first place, it might be difficult for you to get buy-in from them, maybe for them to get to pay mm -hmm. for your service. Think of a way that you can offer that service and get something in return from them and how that would enhance your profile. I think that's just one of the uh, strategies that we use that worked and that I could give advice to people that are looking to uh, get themselves established with potential clients. Hmm. I, I really like that. And I'm going to draw out just a very short sentence from that is, especially in the beginning, compensation doesn't always have to be monetary. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I think that that's yeah. really great advice. Find strategic partners and s figure out what they need. And sometimes if they're not able to pay you, there are other forms that you guys can work out and uh, build something better together. And you said it's uh, you're building your portfolio, your profile. And that's definitely important starting out as a new entrepreneur. Yes, it's not all about the money at the beginning. Mm. It's also about building your your credibility and a reputation. Yeah, definitely. And so now we're going to move on a little bit and talk about one of the down points you've had as an entrepreneur. And I know uh, entrepreneurs sometimes say they never face down points or sometimes they can't even single out one. But I want you to pick just one that sticks out in your mind where you didn't know if you could still move on and re or recover from it. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, 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 I will give you an answer, but I'd say that, um, yeah, I really don't focus much on those. Mm. Um, rather, I always try to look at them as opportunities. For me, I think the times that um, I would want to refer to have been cases where you walk in into a room and, you know, somebody just gives you, judges you by the way that you look. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, so you are the CEO of MHub. We thought it was this, you know, big woman um, with <laughs> a huge presence. And, wow, you, I mean, somebody has actually told me in my face, like, oh, you're so tiny. We thought we we're going to see, you know, a real person. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so that already puts you at a point where you know that you only have a few seconds to convince that person that, you know, sometimes dynamites do come in small packages. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, I always um, have embraced a, a culture of trying to convince would-be clients or whoever I'm pitching to in less than 90 seconds to win them over and make them to want to listen to you hmm. um, 
Yeah. Interesting. And so you've talked about having to sort of face adversity just by people looking at you and, and making a judgment call. And you said you needed that really sharp pitch. So can you give the bandits an, an example of what a, a sharp pitch would be like? What things do they need right off the bat to captivate people's attention? So I think it's about being precise, concise, and very clear, straight to the point. Because there's a book that I read about Convince Them in 90 Seconds that talks about how the human mind will make a decision whether they're interested in engaging you or not within that sort of time frame. But how that person will get to make that decision that they want to listen more to you or how you will speak to be remembered um, depends on your choice of words in being very clear, straightforward, that this is what we do, this is the problem we solve, and this is the reason why you need to work with us. If you can get those out straight immediately, um, then somebody decides whether they want to hear you or not, and they will remember you. You speak to be remembered. Hmm. I like that powerful statement, you speak to be remembered. And moving on, I want to sort of flip the script a little bit and talk about one of your greatest moments as an entrepreneur. And I find that it's difficult for, for us as entrepreneurs to pick out just one moment. But if you could, just, just take us back to that one point in time where you felt this is where I belong. So, yeah, like you said, there have been several moments. Um, in 2015, I got an award from Google. That was really an enlightening moment. Um, but most recently, I had the chance to step my feet in the Silicon Valley. Oh, I mean, wow. and attended the Global Entrepreneurship Summit wow. and sat in an audience where a few meters away, the president of the United States of America, Barack Obama, hmm. was addressing more than 700 global entrepreneurs. And I was one of those. I think that was a very... Um, great moment for me because for once I felt like my dreams had come true for any tech enthusiast Silicon Valley sounds like the ultimate place to be mm -hmm. um, and then second to be in that space with you know an aura of inspiration and motivation from other global entrepreneurs yeah that was a huge boost lift and encouragement uh, very great and epic moment mm -hmm. for me Wow. I mean, that, that sounds exciting. I wish I could have been in that room there. I'm sure just the collective enthusiasm of everyone in the audience was, was very palpable. Yes. And that week that I spent at the Stanford University going through the lectures and the seminars from, you know, CEOs of Uber, CEOs of Airbnb, hmm. CEO of YouTube, talking to us about some of the great insights on tech entrepreneurship, how they started, how they failed, was absolutely amazing. It just legitimized some of the strategies and models that I had tried hmm. and used um, without knowing whether I was doing the right thing or not. So it really enhanced my confidence and courage to keep on keeping on. Hmm. I like that. And by being there for a week or so, what are some things, maybe one or two things that you looked at as a huge takeaway at, uh, in bringing back to the Malawian market and the African market, wherever you are operating? 
I think um, for me, two things um, that I, I, I took away. Number one is that the Silicon Valley is not a place. It's a mindset. So mm. I don't have to live there or to be there physically, but I just need to embrace the Silicon Valley mindset. What has made it to be what it is and take it even to Africa and Africa could just be another Silicon Valley of its own. Mm. Um, secondly, the other lesson I learned from there was, I mean, for just hearing from all these great um, people that found these amazing tech companies was, I think you need to believe in yourself because there's going to be a time when no one else believes in you and in what you're doing. Um, and so... If you hear the stories of how they started, how many no's they got as entrepreneurs from investors and, you know, from potential clients and how big they have become today. I think it's a lesson of believing in yourself, in what you do and keeping on. And the third takeaway I got was that you need to hire smart people, um, those that are better than you in whatever it is that they do and recognize their talent and encourage them to do well hmm. because this is a collective effort. It's not about just you as a person, hmm. as an entrepreneur. I like that. And just off of that last point, I think it's important to say that as an entrepreneur, you really need to humble yourself. Uh, starting out, you might think that, oh, I can finally be the boss and uh, I've arrived. All of those sort of notions pop into your head. But the fact is, as an entrepreneur, you don't just have one boss anymore. Everyone, every customer is your boss. Yes, 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 absolutely. Mm. And I think that's a perfect segue into the rapid fire round. So are you ready? Yeah, sure. Great. Uh, what would you say was initially stopping you from taking the step to become an entrepreneur? I felt like um, I didn't have the knowledge. I was. I thought... To be an entrepreneur, one had to be trained in a classroom to be one. Hmm. That was my major um, laid back. And it really affected my confidence initially to get started. Hmm. And at what point did you stop looking at your business as a project and more as an actual business? Um, so right from the beginning, I started to look at it as a, as, as, as a project. Right from the beginning. And I don't know whether this is something that has helped me to get it right. Um, let's see how it goes over the years. <laughs> All right. And what quality do you say most contributes to your success as an entrepreneur? For me as a person? Yes. I think um, my resilience, um, my determination, and ability to plan. Hmm. Nice. And what quality do you think you need to improve on most? I think I need to improve on being more strategic, um, developing more of those strategic partnerships and alliances. It takes you to really have a lot of foresight and try to project and look into the future, mm. which is a great, um, great art or skill. Yeah. I need to work on that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. And what's the best advice you've ever received and who is it from? The best advice that I got as an entrepreneur 
was from an investor who told me that you need to hire people that are smarter than you. Mm. I'd never thought of it from that angle. Mm. Um, I think oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we think that we are supposed to be the center of everything. Mm. And the people that you work with are your support staff, people just who just support you. Mm. But once I realized that, I've tried to get the smarter people on my team and tell you what, it's easier because they get to do all the great and beautiful work. And it gives me time to now start to think more from an overview perspective of what to do next to improve the business. So I, I don't really get involved in the dirty, dirty day-to-day duties. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself just starting her career as an entrepreneur? I would urge them to start where they are, start with what they have, and start now. Mm. There is never going to be a time when all things are perfect. If mm. it happens, well, you're lucky. Mm. But it may never happen that you have the $10 million capital you think you need. It may never happen that you have the brand, the marketing in place for your product or your organization. Mm. So start with what you have and start now. Procrastination leads you to die with ideas hmm. Hmm. that you never execute. Uh-huh. So execute them now. I wish I started much earlier than I did. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. I think that's, that's one thing that we see a lot of entrepreneurs say is, I wish I would have just started earlier. Yeah. And I'm actually excited for this next question because uh, being the tech enthusiast you are, I think it'll be a great, a great answer. So what is one Internet resource or application that you couldn't live without and will exclude Google and Facebook and all of those other larger ones? Wow. Like uh, an application excluding Google, Facebook, WhatsApp that I can't live with. Yeah. Wow, I, I, I can't think of any, hey? Mm. Um, because already the Facebooks, the WhatsApps, sometimes they they really overload me with too much information and stress me out like I just want to <laughs> run away from them. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Sometimes, I guess sometimes it is true there is sort of this information overload and sometimes you need to just take a step back and and, and take a breath. Exactly. That's why they call them disruptive technologies. They are very disruptive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I never thought of it that way. That's funny. I like that. Yeah. And so you talked a little bit about cooking, uh, but other than that, is there anything else that you like to do to unwind from such a hectic schedule? So for me, when I get home, whatever time it is, there is no more work because I have three small children. Hmm. I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. I had three babies in four years. So home is a place where I have to entertain and answer difficult questions (laughs) from these three people. Hmm. And they have to all over the place to annoy me um, and mess up the home that I have to clean up after. (laughs) So that's pretty much what um, I get myself to do 
or what really makes me to drop down tired and to sleep every other day is um, getting to attend to these three bunches. Hmm. Um, yeah. And I've gotten a few questions uh, from people who listen to the podcast and they want to know what it's like starting a business with small children or starting a business with a new family. What is that? What is that like? Yeah, I think it's about planning. You need to know when to do what and when to when to do business work and when to be a family person. Mm. Um, you have to wear all those hats. And, there has, and there's a very thin line because one might potentially suffer one of these um, hats, but it's about really planning. And like for me, like I say, when I leave home, I try to maximize the time that I'm away from home at the office to make sure that I get all my work done for the business side of things. When I get home, um, everything has to change. Now I'm the mother. Now I'm the wife. and. Mm have to manage the home and manage the kids and give them all the time that they need. Um, so I really think that it's about planning. You you can't um, be one of those 24-7. You really have to plan out your time well on when to wear what hat. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I find that... that uh one of the most common traits with it, with all the entrepreneurs that I interview is the fact that they're able to plan very well and they're able to compartmentalize different aspects of their life. And yes, because failing plan is really planning to fail, mm, as they say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, what what are you reading now, if anything? So now I am reading a book. It's actually very close to me. Future crimes by Mark Goodman. Hmm. Um, it talks about how everything is connected, but everything is also vulnerable. That, you know, the technology space is not as safe as it is. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm reading now. <laughs> nice. And to close out the rapid fire round, do you feel like you've made it yet? <sighs> no, hey, but I know um, my friends think that it's very mean for me to say that. But yeah, I haven't made it yet. I'll let you know when I do. <laughs> okay, we'll definitely have you back on the show then. All right, thank you. Yeah. And so that I think that was a great rapid fire round. Uh, you gave a lot of really good insights. Um, and your ability to tell stories really brought the entire picture together. So I appreciate that. And as we cool down, you mentioned one book, Future Crimes, but do you have any other books that you would recommend to the bandits? Right. Um, I, especially because you asked me about the women entrepreneurs um, and the women that are looking to take up, you know, leading positions, I'd recommend Leaning by Sheryl Sandberg. Mm. Um, it, it really um, was a great springboard for me to take to the next step and to become very bold and confident and to aim high um, to reach greater heights regardless of whether I'm a woman mm. um, or not. Mm. Nice. And that's Leaning by Sheryl Sandberg. Yes. Good. And who are your mentors and what would you say is just the general value of mentorship? So my mentor is um, Dr. Mary Linika. She is program manager for 
pretty much ops and data at Google. Um, mm. Mentorship is a very important aspect to every uh, person, career, for their career, or as we go through the journey of mentorship, I mean, of, of, um, of entrepreneurship. Um, because through mentorship, you get to understand yourself better, but you also get to learn from the other person. It's a process mm. of sharing and learning from the other. It's not really about a mentor pushing things to me, but you help to see yourself from um, a totally different angle. I think you connect at um, different levels, and there is so much to learn um, for a person as a, as a whole. Mm. And I think part of what we do as a hub is to engage these young technology enthusiasts with mentors that are established in business, technology, and other spaces. One thing I've also learned is that when you are interested in technology or whatever field it is, it doesn't necessarily mean that your mentor has to be somebody who is also in that same space. Mm. I have learned that there is so much to learn as well from people that are from totally opposite and different fields. I think it's that complementarity that brings in the strength in knowledge because you don't you have to know this and that and not just about your specific field. Hmm. No, I, I definitely like that. It's about being able to share and receive from people. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of working in Malawi. Oh, I meant to ask also, you're working in Malawi. You're now in Lusaka. In Lusaka. How many other countries does MHub sort of have some sort of tentacles in? Um. So our work here is pretty much on deployment basis, but we are only based in Malawi. We only have physical presence in Malawi in the two cities of Lilongwe and Blanta, mm. and we're trying to expand into other districts slowly because okay. the idea is we also want to learn. If we have to fail, we would rather fail slowly mm. and learn before we can scale out um, at a large scale. Okay, great. And yeah, that leads me to my next question is, Based off of your impression, what areas can young people get involved in right now if they're trying to pursue a career in entrepreneurship? I think there's a whole diverse of areas. But for those that are um, interested in tech, uh, some of the lessons that I learned from the Global Entrepreneurship Summit of potential areas to consider becoming an entrepreneur in were in energy, so issues to do with uh, whether it's solar energy or renewable energy, uh, consider areas to do with artificial intelligence or mm. drone technology. Mm. Um, these seem to be um, the next thing to happen. Mm. Um, so it would be good to be very strategic and get yourselves into those uh, two areas. I am also trying to diversify and I'm coding a potential partner on a solar um, energy organization. We would mm. want to solarize Malawi just oh. for diversity. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's very interesting. And you guys got the, you, there you have the inside scoop from Rachel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, we're getting to that moment where it's uh, about time to say goodbye. But uh, for those listeners who have just been so inspired by the work you're doing now and just by what you've said so far, what ways can they connect with you for internship or maybe even mentorship opportunities? 
Um, so they can go check out our website, mhubmw.com. We're also on Facebook. And so they could send us a message. We're on email, info at mhubmw.com. And they could follow us on Twitter and send us a direct message and we will connect. That's great. That's great. And before we leave, we have the final question, which I'll ask. But I remember I said I wanted a recipe from you or at least the name of one dish that I could try out. So can you can you help us out with that? <laughs> I'll give you a, lo- a recipe for a local Malawian veg- vegetarian dish. Um, so pumpkin leaves, boiled, add some tomatoes, some onions, and groundnut flour. Mm. Uh, toast around, leave to simmer, add some salt. You eat with um, um, either boiled potatoes or with our local dish called nsima which is basically pulp made out of um, corn flour. Okay, okay. And what's this dish called? Um, so this would be, in the local language, I mean, in, 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 in simpler terms, you'd say this is vegetables with groundnut flour. Mm. Um, in the local language, it's just masamba dendera. Okay. I, I'm definitely going to have to get the spelling of that later on <laughs> to, to be oh. able to Google it. Oh, but I appreciate that. <laughs> And so here's the final question. You're tasked with building the greatest business the world has ever seen. You can bring on any two people, living or dead. With you taking the lead, who would you bring on and what would you do? Hmm. Bring on two people, living or dead, mm-hmm. to build a business. Yes. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to execute that in my head. Hmm. I think I would want to bring on people that have skills that are different from mine. Mm. Um, so in that case, um, I would bring back Steve Jobs <laughs> for his, I mean, his creativity and resilience and belief in himself despite, you know, failing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and you know we've learned that he wasn't actually a techie, but I mean, look, he he came and built one of the greatest empires of technology that mm. there has ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, so for his creativity and imagination, um, beyond even what he was capable of doing technically, but managed to achieve that, mm. um, I would bring him along um, to build it. I mean, a tech empire um, because tech is what I thrive in and what mm-hmm. I like. Mm-hmm. I would bring back Colonel Sanders, mm. um, the owner of KFC. Mm. Again, because I like his traits. I mean, you read his biography and it tells you that this is somebody who had failed so many times, hey, in mm. his life. Mm. It's recorded that he'd failed more than a thousand and nine times. Wow. He still kept at it. Mm. I wish I would have that sort of resilience, drive, and determination to keep going even when um, with failure Hmm. um, and to finally break through Hmm. um, and to the the sort of um, um, empire that KFC has become with so many franchises around the world and to consider that it came from somebody who had failed pretty much for a greater part of his life, Hmm. was from a poor background, um, I think it doesn't matter where you come from is the lesson that I get from him. And hmm. 
I would really want to build an empire or a company with these two people mm. for the traits that they've shown of resilience, self-belief, creativity. Hmm. I like that. And there you have it. That's the dream team. Steve Jobs, Colonel Sanders, and Rachel taking the lead. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. I've definitely appreciated our chat, and I'm sure that the bandits appreciate it as well. Thank you very much. All right. This is the Knowledge Bandits Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Overcast, or Stitcher. You can also follow Knowledge Bandits on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, Bandits, stay inspired.